0: Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. We're going to uh, continue our series of, from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, one of the best comments I have ever read about God from outside the Bible actually comes from a children's story. Uh, in The Witch in the Wardrobe, which is a part of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis tells this story. Um, The land of Narnia is ruled by a cruel witch, and the people there are awaiting the return of Aslan, who is going to set them free from the rule of this witch. And and throughout the story, Aslan is uh, a symbol for Christ. And so there's some children who end up in Narnia, and Mr. Beaver is explaining to them how, what's going on, and that this wicked Uh, cruel queen is in charge of everything but they're waiting on Aslan who's going to come and set them free and then he tells the children you're going to get to meet Aslan and they were all excited about getting to meet Aslan until they found out Aslan is a lion and then they were a little afraid and so one of the kids asked Mr. Beaver is he safe and Mr. Beaver said Of course not, (laughs) he isn't safe, but he's good. And what an incredible, you know, C.S. Lewis has uh, written many incredible insights about God, but what an incredible insight that is, because God is not safe, but God is good. And with that in mind, let's hear this parable that Jesus taught That's uh, in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants uh, and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground, so here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I've not gathered scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, Jesus tells us this man was preparing for a long journey, and he left all of his possessions in the hands of three of his servants. And uh, when he returns, they have to give them back. But until he returns, they're in charge of all of his possessions, all of his treasure. And uh, we're, you know, the way it's emphasized that he's going to be gone a really long time. And so they have a long time to have to take care of his possessions, of all these treasures. Now, the NIV uh, translates it by saying, he gave them differing numbers of bags of gold. That's a little different than the way most of us have always heard this as the parable about the talents. Uh, And he gave them talents. But I think bag of gold is a better translation because I think one of the reasons this parable has never shocked us like it should is because we really don't know what a talent is or We've taken that term talent and we've allegorized it to simply mean God wants us to, you know, um, to teach uh, a Bible study class or, or serve in a ministry. But a talent was worth about 20 years' wages of a daily laborer. Okay? Imagine that. Take what you make in a year. Multiply that times 20 and that's what the guy with one talent was given, that much money. The guy with five talents um, was 100 years worth of your yearly salary. Two talents were worth 40 years of your yearly salary. And one talent was worth 20 years of what you make in a year. Now I try not to use any math in sermons but, um, but think about that. I mean, that's a lot of money. What if someone dropped that kind of money on you and said, you're responsible for this, but when I come back, you have to give it back to me. That's exactly the position they were in. You take care of this however you want, whatever way you see fit, but when I get back, <laughs> you're going to have to return it. This isn't your money, it's somebody else's. So the first servant, he takes five bags of gold or a hundred years worth of his yearly salary. And we're not told what he did with it, but if you do any kinds of investments, to double your investment, there was some risk involved. Some pretty high risk. So we don't know if he bought, you know, what he bought and sold or, or how, you know, how he invested it. We bought, maybe he bought lamb and no money down. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how he did it. But whatever he did, he doubled the money, which is pretty amazing. And then the second servant was given two bags of gold or 40 years worth of his yearly salary. And he went out and he did the same thing. Somehow he invested and risked and spent and he doubled his boss's money. And then we come to the third servant who was given uh, one bag of gold or 20 years worth of his yearly salary. And now the, the third servant is where, you know, the point of the whole story. Um, <clears throat> parables are like good jokes. It's always the third guy. You know, it, it's always the one who comes in last, who has the punchline. And that's the way it is here. He took his one bag of gold, or 20 years worth of salary, and he buried it in the ground so that nothing could happen to it. And he couldn't lose any of it. And uh, what happens though is because so many of us, we've heard this so many times, we know the third guy is the guy who gets into trouble. So we don't identify with him, we identify with the other two. But before we judge him too harshly, l- listen to this Rabbinic law says that whoever immediately buries property entrusted to him is no longer liable because he has taken the safest course possible. How about that? Now here's the truth. If we had never heard this story before and all we knew was this guy entrusted all of his money to three of his servants, two of them risked it and gambled it, but they managed to double it. But one guy didn't take any chances with it He played it safe so he would make sure he didn't lose any of it. If that's all of the story we knew, most of us would identify with the third guy. He's the smartest guy. Because what if those other guys had lost that money? What if in their investings, you know, they hadn't have turned out so well? Now The third guy was the smart guy who made the right choice. He played it safe. He did what most of us would have done. And so one day the landowner did return. And he called his servants in and he asked for an accounting. And so the first guy showed up and he said, you know, you, gave, you left me with 200 years worth of my salary and I invested it and I worked it and I have gained 800 years worth of my salary. I doubled your investment, boss. And he looked at him, and he said, well done, Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so then the second guy came in and he said, you gave me 40 years worth of my annual salary and I've turned it into 80 years worth. I doubled your money. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the third guy came in. And he said, listen, boss, I know you to be a hard man. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Not exactly. But that's what he would have said if he was Charles Dickens. Uh, and I'm I'm already kind of getting ready for Christmas. But he says, you, you are a hard man. And you scared me to death when you handed me that much money. By the way, next time you should consider a cashier's check. <laughs> so so I hid your money in the ground. I didn't lose any of it. Here's every penny you gave me, I still have it all. And and the man <laughs> replied, Well, you know that I'm a hard man, that I reap where I didn't. So you could have at least put it in the bank, and I would have gained 0.02 interest on it while I was gone. And then the boss called him wicked and lazy. Lazy. Now, the early church declared that being lazy was one of seven deadly sins. Uh, But it was a special kind of laziness they were talking about. They called it sloth. There's two ways that we can be lazy or unfaithful, as John Claypool put it. There's the hot way of being unfaithful, which is to abuse our powers and use them destructively. That's the sin of commission. And then there's the cold way of being unfaithful, which is to do nothing at all, and abort one's potential. That's the sin of omission. So there's lots of ways to be lazy. One way is to have the resources to make a difference in the problem around us but refuse to use them to solve it. Another is to remain silent when we see injustice. How often have we, as Bonhoeffer put it, been silent witnesses of evil deeds? You know, to withhold our welcome and our love to others is uh, less noticeable than to be abusive and mean, but it's still a sin. Commission, omission, it keeps us divided and angry and broken. It's the sin of accepting narratives and being too lazy to find out if they're true or not. It's believing what we're told just because we want to. It's the sin of laziness. The boss said he was lazy, but the servant said he was scared. He said, I was scared to death. When you gave me that much money, I just hit it in the ground. Because he had been given so much that it scared him, and he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't want to be responsible for it. He didn't love his boss, he was afraid of his boss. And there's a big difference between wanting to please someone and just wanting to stay out of trouble. And maybe Jesus was reminding us of the parallel between them and our relationship with God. Because there's some people who try to follow God out of fear. They're afraid that God's going to punish them if they mess up. So the goal in life is don't mess up. Follow the rules. Don't do anything wrong. Show up. Keep your head down. Look the part. And life becomes all about sin management. You don't really have to do anything good. Just don't do anything too bad. Take the generous gift of your one and only life that God has given you. And just play it safe and bury it in the ground. Others follow God out of love. They realize how incredibly generous this gift of life is. And so they want to take it, they have this desire to please God with whatever God has put at their disposal. And living is more than avoiding trouble. It may even be sometimes, as the late um, John Lewis used to say, getting into good trouble making a difference for the kingdom of God. Did you hear the punchline? Two guys risked everything they had and they were given happiness and joy. One guy played it safe and he lost everything. I agree with John Buchanan who wrote this. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, Is to not risk anything or not care deeply and profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply and to give your heart away and in the process, risk everything. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe and live cautiously and prudently. I have it on good word that it's not until you are ready to lose your life that you ever really truly find it. So for those of us this morning who have signed up to follow God, it is not a safe bet. God will not allow us to sit on the sidelines and keep silent in a world that so desperately needs God's word of justice and truth and love. So what is God calling you to risk? to follow God because Mr. Beaver was right. God is not safe, but God is good. Amen.